Welcome to the Game Plan Podcast with Judah Newby and Brian Perkins, breaking down all things Seahawks. He's Brian Perkins. I'm Judah Newby. All Seahawks content all the time as we approach free agency that begins March 14th. That's when the new league year begins as well, but still plenty to discuss leading up to that point, including the franchise tag. What did the Seahawks have in store potentially for that? Of course, the franchise tag window opened up earlier this week. It will go until March 6th. And those players that were not tagged will then become unrestricted free agents a week later. So a lot on the table for the Seahawks from that from that standpoint, despite the fact historically they haven't exactly used the tag very much. We'll talk about that. Plus, Richard Sherman, where does he stand with his rehabilitation from the uh, Achilles injury he suffered against Arizona in week 10 of last year? And a couple of news and notes there at the end, including some uh, some pretty big names with the Seahawks that will likely be cut from the roster ahead of free agency. Brian Perkins, what's up, man? How you doing? You know, it's a fun time of year. You know, a lot is it of, though? I, is it really? You know, I enjoy the free agency, like all the rumors yeah. and conjecture. I mean, I don't know. I think it's fun, but uh, I know it's not fun for players is getting franchise tagged. So it's kind of one of those weird things where, like, if you want to create a contentious uh, discussion, franchise tag a guy. See how he uh, likes you then. I know Kirk Cousins has been the primary name, at least in national narratives, of players that uh, are likely to get tagged because. He's been tagged each of the past two years, and there's a chance that he gets tagged for a third year in a row, even though the Redskins traded for Alex Smith this offseason. But as it relates to the Seahawks, we haven't really had to talk about the franchise tag very much because historically, especially under John Schneider or Pete Carroll, they frankly just haven't used it. No, I mean, under them, they have not, definitely. The, the only time they used it was in 2010 yeah. w- uh, with Olindo Mare. Mare! <laughs> Shout out. Jim Moore's guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, you know, they, anyway, they, they just, they've not done that under him. Now they have from basically 2000 to 2010, they used it quite a bit, actually. And we can get into the history of that here in a little bit, but I would be shocked if Seattle made any franchise tag decision this year, just because if you think about the cap hell that they're already in, and then you're going to do the franchise tag and risk not coming to terms to a long-term deal and having to pay that money out. That's going to really put a dent into your free agency dollars, which are already minimal. For those unfamiliar with the franchise tag, what exactly is it? What does it do? Why do teams want to use it? Yeah, so I mean, the franchise tag, basically, I mean, the point of it was to give teams the opportunity to extend the amount of time they have to lock someone into a long-term deal. Like, a franchise tag is not... The the Kirk Cousins situation seems a bit unique because it feels like the team franchise tagged him because they didn't want to pay him a long-term deal, whereas traditionally this has been used to try to negotiate with guys to strike a multi-year contract, which is really what the players want in the end, right? And they want guaranteed dollars. So there's three different types of franchise tags. There's the exclusive tag, which means only the player's current team can negotiate with said player. There's the non-exclusive, which is used more frequently, which means teams can negotiate, any team can negotiate with the player, but it's essentially like um, being a restricted free agent in the NBA where the current team can match. Right. But if the current team doesn't match, then they get two first-round picks in return for said player when they leave. <laughs> well, take that every time. Well, I mean, so you're going to have to be a pretty big-name guy, right? To, <laughs> two first-round picks? Yeah, Crazy. to garner that. Oof. 
The transition tag is similar to the non-exclusive minus the compensation, the pick compensation. So it basically makes them a restricted free agent. So those are your three types of franchise tag, and Seattle has historically used the non-exclusive franchise tag on these guys. Which I believe is the most common yeah. for any team. It is. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of salary and payment, though, I know it can fluctuate, obviously, by position. So what, you know, what does that look like financially for a team? If they want to tag a guy like a star player, you know, what does that mean that they have to pay him? Yeah, so it, basically it takes the top five, the exclusive tag, and the non-exclusive take the top five salaries, and you get the average of those top five salaries at that position. Got it. The transition tag, on the other hand, is the top ten salaries. Oh. So that's the that's another minor difference between the two. So, for example, ta- a tight end tag this year would garner you $9.7 million. A wide receiver franchise tag, $15.6 million. And I think we just saw that go to Jarvis Landry a couple days ago. Yeah. $16 million to keep him in Miami with this tag. Now, of course, they'll want to work out a long-term deal, but if they don't, that's $16 million, one guy. If he signs the tender, which he probably yeah. will. Yeah. Luke, um, I, I was looking at Luke Jokel. I don't know why, because they're not going to, they would never <laughs> franchise tag him. And this is another reason why they wouldn't. So he made $8 million bucks last year. I know. God. If they tagged him, an what? offensive lineman would make $14.2 million. Now, does that, out of curiosity, do you know, is that offensive line or is that guard? It's offensive line. Okay. 14? 14.2 million. Jeez. That's so terrible. not going to happen. Nope. Not going to happen. They so, weren't going to bring him back anyway, but it's fun to kind of... <laughs> well, I the, didn't realize that the top five, you know, average salary would be, you know, about $14 million for an offensive lineman. That's pretty good money. If you look at the... Well, an offensive lineman now are kind of like unicorns, finding a good one. So yeah. if you look at the guys, like Seattle doesn't have a lot of unrestricted free agents this year that feel like a franchise tag will happen. You know, Jimmy Graham's one, maybe, right? They could be in that discussion. And technically, that $9.7 million would be a decrease in salary from the previous year. $10 million, For Graham, right? who made $10 million. Yeah. Um, Sheldon Richardson's obviously one, and then Paul Richardson as well, I feel like, are the the three. And then I threw Luke Jokel in there just because he's really the fourth likeliest to get a franchise tag, which is not likely at all. Like mm-hmm. 0% chance, essentially. But that just shows you there's not a lot. I mean, with a franchise tag... You're if a team is willing to take that risk to put that type of salary into a player, they clearly value their skills because if they don't, they're not going to ham- hamstring themselves for a season based on a guy that they don't really believe in. So it's got to be one of your top guys. Should Seattle use a franchise tag? Should anyone use a franchise tag? They've got to do it before March 6th. And at that point, franchise players have until July 16th to work out that long-term deal. Guys that have been franchised. So if you look at like a guy that's already been tagged, Jarvis Landry, going to make just under $16 million unless he works out a long-term deal before July 16th. Now, here's the issue, though, and we can you know use this to transition into the Sheldon Richardson discussion with whether or not the Seahawks should or should not use the tag on Richardson. If you tag a player with whom you want to discuss a long-term contract, does that tag salary become the baseline of your contract negotiations. In this case, it would with Richardson, right? Which I believe, I think Bob Condota of uh, Seattle Times had the story up uh, sometime on Thursday afternoon. But it's around like $14 million, I think. You mentioned that for offensive linemen. I think it's around the same for defensive linemen as well. It's $13.3 million. $13.3 million, and that would be the... For defensive tackle. 
for a defensive tackle in particular. And if they tagged Richardson with that number, that would be the baseline salary that his agent would probably try to go with if they wanted to work out a long-term deal. Whereas, Perkins, if you don't tag him, maybe you could, if you're John Schneider, use a little bit of leverage with a lesser number. (laughs) Do you feel like Sheldon Richardson underperformed, overperformed, or met expectations last year? Oh, I think he underperformed because— I agree. Yeah, I mean, show me the evidence. So this is a guy that made, you know, $8 million last year was his salary. Him and Jokel made the same? (laughs) And dang so, it. so we're talking hate... about a guy that's going to get a $5 million raise for underperforming. I mean, just if you're right. th- when we're talking about the franchise tag, yeah. we're talking $13 million a year. Is, is Sheldon Richardson worth that? I mean, only the team can decide from what, from what we saw, in my opinion, I don't think he is based on your, the rest of the cap situation that you have right now. Well, and, and the other thing to keep in mind is the kind of fluid situation you have on your defensive line at the moment. Cliff Averill is another name that who knows if he's returning to football, but it's likely that he's going to be cut. That's likely at this point. If they cut Averill, they save $7.1 million. They don't know what he is. They don't know if he's going to come back from this injury. It's and a, you have Frank Clark. A, and you have Frank Clark. It's a smart move to part ways with Cliff Averill as tough as you know that is to, to come to grips with. That's what Seattle kind of has to do at this point to save $7 million. But you lose one of your premier pass rushers. At least he was when he was healthy. There's unsurety about what they're going to do with Michael Bennett, who's got, I think, two years left on his deal as well. There's unsurety around what kind of player Malik McDowell is going to be, obviously, given his uh, uh, crazy rookie season that he didn't even play. So but so there's some concern around the overall quality of your defensive line, is, is what I'm saying overall, and that would be incentive to try to bring Sheldon Richardson back, but compensation, you have to factor that in as well. If he leaves and goes to another team, it's likely Seattle gets at least a third round pick in compensation back for Sheldon Richardson, for whom did not they trade a second round pick to the New York Jets and and Jermaine Curse, right? And that's the speculation, right? Is everyone was like, they gave up so much for Sheldon Richardson. They have to bring him back because, you know, they gave up so much for him. But you don't want to hamstring yourself just because you maybe made a bad deal, like a bad trade. Mm-hmm. You know, in hindsight, yeah, the trade was clearly not beneficial to Seattle. I don't think, at least. But with that being said, like that doesn't mean that you should, you know, give him four years, you know, fifty-two million dollars and twenty-six of that guaranteed or something like that. I mean, you know, if we're talking, if we're talking about thirteen million being kind of your baseline salary. For him, just because you feel like, oh, we we got to make sure we get the most out of him because of what we gave up for him. Now, the other thing about that pick, you have to remember though, is if he does go to another team, that third round pick doesn't come to them until the next season. So twenty nineteen. So right. they're not going to be able to make hay with that pick this year, and this season just feels to me very crucial for Pete Carroll's future in Seattle. That's just how I feel about it. The, so the the crucial aspect, the urgency aspect. I think there's a sense of urgency this year for this team to win and make it to the playoffs at the very least, yes. Which, does that lead you to believe that, you know, it could be a little bit more likely that they use the tag on him? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. And see, that's the question is... But see, even using the tag on a guy like Richardson, making him the second highest paid player on, or the highest paid defensive player, right, at that point? Yes, he'd be the second highest paid player on the team behind Russell Wilson. And the highest defensive player because Sherman is around 11, right? Yes, Bobby Wagner is second, actually. Bobby about Wagner. About $12 million a year. But guess who's coming up for contract negotiations next? It's Earl Thomas. 
you know, he'll probably see that 13, that 13, three that Richardson gets in the tag if he's tagged and, and want to use that as leverage, you know, to, to try to get a big deal. Yeah. It, everything's connected, I guess is my overall point. Yeah. There's going to be consequences that fall either way, but how valuable is Sheldon Richardson really is, is the question that John Schneider and Pete Carroll have to answer. Yeah, and I, I would I be mean, surprised and, if the answer to that question is $13.3 million next season, which is the risk you're taking by franchise tagging him. See, I would too, but that's a tough position to find great talent at. I Someone uh, posted on Twitter, I'm not sure who it is, so I apologize for the attribution, but there's only like six defensive tackles that are hitting the free agent market, and two of them are good, and it's Richardson and Don Terry Poe. You know, so unless you've got this faith in Malik McDowell, we know how important interior pass rush is to Pete Carroll's core philosophy. You know, maybe that spurs him on to use the tag. So I guess the question is, is what is more important to Seattle? Having a an above average nose tackle? Because I wouldn't consider Richardson a great nose tackle anymore. Would you? I mean, I don't. I think he's still got that. He's 27. It could have just been a bad year. I mean, and he made some plays. Let's not. Let's he did. Remember, I, I we remember made the a lot of plays the, the, where he didn't quite get in the end and you zone. Know what? And, if they made the divisional yeah. round of the playoffs, you know, or if they made the playoffs, let's say, we'd probably be here saying, oh, Richardson, he had a fine year. They made the playoffs. Sure. But what separates teams that make the, the divisional round and teams that don't that are really close, like Seattle was, depth because of injuries? Mm-hmm. And if you pay a guy $13 million to be above average at nose tackle, I'm sorry. I, I just don't I don't see how that makes sense for Seattle. I don't see them franchise tagging him. I, I could see them making a run for him though, definitely, yeah. and trying to get him back in Seattle at a lower price, maybe even eight million a year. But if he's gonna go out there after the season that he had and try to demand ten, twelve million dollars, thirteen million dollars a year, I mean, I guess it's a supply and demand thing. You said there's only two real top tier guys, so well, maybe teams will be willing to shell out the cash for it, but I think if you're Seattle, you have to play it smart here. I don't, I don't, I don't see them using the franchise tag. I think, you know, I could, I could, I don't think they use it either. But I can talk myself pretty easily into a scenario in which they do use it. And I think the bigger question that comes out of the discussion is, based on last year missing the playoffs, based on Pete Carroll's age, based on a little question around the futures of your star defensive players. Is Seattle's philosophy right now more short-term or more long-term? Because well, if it's short-term, advantage franchise tag. It's easy for me to say, like, oh, they need to focus on this year because, I, I, you know, maybe Pete Carroll will be out if they don't have success this year. The problem with that is that's not how Pete Carroll thinks. Pete Carroll always thinks he's going to win, right? Like, that has to be the philosophy and the mindset he has to get to where he has been in his career. So for me to say, like, oh, well, I have to, you know – for, for him to think, oh, I have to make a desperation move because we have to win games this year, I'm sure he is already confident. Oh, we already we made changes to the coaching staff. We have a franchise quarterback. You know, we have key defenders coming back from injury. We're going to be just fine as long as we stick to my philosophy. I think that he has the confidence that he can do that without having to compromise necessarily the future because he thinks that he still will be part of the future, assuming that he still feels that way about his career. I, I think we're both comfortable saying Jimmy Graham won't be back. But what would the franchise tag with him kind of look like, and, and you yeah, know, what might he get on the open market without it? I mean, nine point seven million is what he would garner if they tagged him, which is less money than he made last year. But I mean, is he worth nine million dollars, nine and a half million dollars? I don't think so. Well, a lot of red zone production, 
And that's what teams on the open market are going to see. They're going to see the touchdown numbers and be like, well, we can figure out ways to use him better than Seattle did and just increase all that production. Seattle is, is, in my opinion, going back to their roots. With that being said, Jimmy Graham is not part of that plan. I mean, he, I, I just don't can't think— block. He can't. They he, need a blocking tight end. And he's relatively—he's uh, a great catcher in the red zone, but contested balls over the middle. Disappointing. D- very disappointing when there's contact. The Jacksonville uh, you know, first down play. Yeah, I mean, there's the, a litany of plays throughout his career that yeah. that are just you just end up scratching your head, going, "God, this guy." I, I mean, I don't know how he doesn't make that play. So, I think with what Seattle is trying to go back to, I just don't think he fits into that plan. Now, here's the other part of that: is Luke Wilson is a free agent as well, correct? Yeah. Last year, we thought Luke would be gone, but no one wanted. I mean, there was no real market for tight ends last year, so he ended up coming back to Seattle for a small deal for a one year deal to try to get something better this time around. Personally. If you could get, if Jimmy Graham's asking for, let's say, eight to nine million dollars a year, and you can get Luke Wilson for two to three million dollars a year, and it's a no brainer. It's a no brainer, in my opinion, at least. Yeah, I, I think you're right on the money there. Or you don't bring either of them back. <laughs> um, other guys that could possibly get tagged that are in the uh, in the you know airwaves right now is Sammy Watkins, LA Rams, maybe. Jarvis Landry already did get tagged, so we'll see about that. Paul Richardson will not get tagged for Seattle. I would. That's another one that would not. Ha- I mean, he just finished his rookie deal, right? Yeah, this is a guy that made like one point two million dollars last year. Okay. I mean, we're talking about a ridiculous increase in salary, and but I'm not for saying a that he's second not- round pick. He's he's boosted his stock pretty nice. He's a good player. Right he now. is. He's a good player, and I I I hope Seattle finds a way to retain him. I think that he's a very he's a quality receiver, and you saw once he was able to get over the injury bug early in his career how effective you know he could be. But at fifteen, almost sixteen million dollars next season, I mean, is he an elite receiver? No. All right, let's uh, let's move on to Richard Sherman. And what's been going on with him lately as he uh, continues rehabilitating from an Achilles. Yeah. Well, one other thing I just want to tell you about, oh, yeah. about to, to put a bow on the franchise tag discussion. Right. The Pete Carroll, John Snyder era, they have not done much in that. But here you go. 2009, they used the non-exclusive on Leroy Hill, linebacker, which they ended up rescinding in April. 2008, used the non-exclusive on Marcus Trufant. Shout out. 2007, used the Barber shop. <laughs> Use the non-exclusive on Josh Brown. 2005. Forgot about Josh Brown. They tagged Sean Alexander. Did not that was his Sean MVP Alex. year. That's right. And he ended up getting a long-term deal, obviously, out of that. And then from 2002 to 2004, they franchised Walter Jones. Three straight years. And remember, remember he had the big holdout in like 02. Remember that? It, you know, And he didn't come back to like week three of the regular wow. season. And then the previous, the next two, the following two seasons... He signed the te- the tender like right before the regular season started. Yet was a Pro Bowler like every year, of course, as we remember. Um, and then in uh, 2000, they used the tag on Joey Galloway. They did. Oh my goodness! And in 1996, they used it on safety Robert Blackman. You know, I gotta say, I did not realize the franchise tag has been around that long. Since 1993, it's been around. So Seattle is you. I mean, if you think about it, though, from 2002 to 2010, so that's what nine seasons. That I mean, they used it three, four, five, six, seven, eight times. Yeah, pretty rare. I wonder. <laughs> I wonder how that. Uh, I wonder how that stacks up in terms of uh, how other NFL teams have used the franchise tag. 
you know, how what percentage of teams use it annually and what percentage of, uh, you know, of tenders get signed and, and all that. Well, and there's a little bit of a caveat, right? So, like, a kicker getting a franchise tag, especially back then, is a lot different than, than a quarterback right. or a running back or a, a, an elite offensive lineman. I mean, the franchise tag for them is, you know, a fraction of what you're going to pay these other guys. So yeah. it feels a little less risky, right? Well, like, and it makes sense. If, like in Walter Jones's case, if you are the number one offensive lineman in the league and should be paid like it, but the team that has you can pay you like the fifth best in the league, they're yeah. going to do it. Yeah. That's pretty much fundamentally what it comes down to for a lot of the top flight guys. I would argue that Walter Jones used the tag to his advantage. Now, it was risky because, he, you know, there's obviously injury. But they franchise tagged him for three years, and we're going to franchise tag him again. That's possible? I guess so. <laughs> or at least it was back then. And he signed a long-term deal in 05, which allowed them to then use the tag on Sean Alexander. It's like, hey, Walter, let's prove it. Let's prove it. Let's prove it. And he proves it every Pro time. Bowl, Boom. Pro Bowl. Pro Bowl. Pro Bowl. <laughs> Pro Bowl. Put the gold jacket on him. It's just interesting. Gold jacket, green jacket. Yeah, whatever. Uh, uh, but seriously, like I, I think that shows, though, you look at this team that they use the franchise tag on Walter Jones and Sean Alexander – in the early to mid-2000s, two guys that were clearly worth it at that time. Then you have Josh Brown and aging Marcus Trufant, Leroy Hill. I mean, you, I mean it just kind of shows you the Jenkins. direction. The, the, it shows you the direction the team went in, in hindsight, when you look at the, their, what their priorities were based on franchise tags. All right, they do have until March 6th to decide this, so that's going to be another just over two weeks for them. Um, Richard Sherman towards Achilles last November against the Arizona Cardinals. Normally that's an 11 month recovery time um, for for a ruptured Achilles that Sherm had. I went back and watched uh, that game, uh, or at least that third and fourth quarter, um, over again to kind of get a feel for it. And, you know, I don't really understand Achilles injuries, but I was doing some amateur reading online. Anytime you're pointing your toes, anytime you're really using your foot, you're using your Achilles. So when that gets ruptured, that's a game changer. So even though you're seeing Sherm like walk off under his own power and pissed off in those situations, um, it's 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 not like he has the ability to go back onto the field and play at any type of high level. That being said, I know recently he has said that that uh, he has the ability to run and compete in drills by training camp was kind of his hope, or excuse me, by minicamp this spring is his hope, but he's not going to be allowed to fully participate in any type of practices or anything like that until at least training camp at the very least. That still expedites the timeline a little bit faster than 11 months would suggest um, to come back like in October, like four or five weeks into the season. But that being said, the fact that he's entering the final year of his contract, the fact that there are other questions around Legion of Boom, most notably Cam Chancellor and, and Earl Thomas, the fact that Seattle tried to trade him last year and, and didn't get any um, takers really of anything of importance, no first round picks being offered or anything like that. The fact that Richard Sherman is his own agent now going the Russell Okung route, all that combined, the fact that he's getting more advanced and aged, right? The fact that we've seen other star cornerbacks have severe drop-offs and quickly, most notably Darrell Rivas. Judah's on the phone right now trading Richard Sherman for a seventh round pick. No. <laughs> That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> no, but jokes aside, the fact that He's been such a staple and image bearer of the Seattle Seahawks since he arrived on the scene. There's definitely some, um, there's an emotional element to this. And how does that all factor into his future with the Seahawks? How do they approach this offseason? How do they approach 
the coming year with Richard Sherman. Is now the time to offer him an extension not with his stock lower and negotiating against himself as his own agent? Like, how does that all factor in? That's a great question. I don't... If you're Seattle, I don't know how you're giving him a long-term deal right now. I know that traditionally this is when they lock people back in, right? Like, this is when the front office has done that, but I don't think you'd trade the guy, but I also don't feel like... Oh man, I don't know. I I know that his stock potentially could be lower, but does he feel his stock is lower? He's his own agent. That's what I'm saying. And yeah, yeah. Is is he going to be willing to take less money if it's longer term and and you still have some guaranteed dollars on there? What is less money? You know, I mean, the guy's making what? What'd you say? Eleven million dollars this year, right? Right. Is he going to be willing to take less than that? He was still a top five corner in the NFL when he went down with injury. What's he going to be like after the Achilles? I think if you're the team. You're gonna wait and see how he how his body reacts to that Achilles injury because more times than not we have seen Achilles ruptures end careers. That is true. That being said, here's some other high profile names that had Achilles injuries came back and played at the same level or better. Okay, oddly. Okay, I'm just saying because there's a lot of guys that came back. But but here here's the thing. Yeah, Arian Foster, one of those names. He had a bunch of injuries throughout his career. The Achilles injury that he had in 2015, that was the nail in the coffin for him. Yep. But that's a guy that had physical problems since he really for came on the scene. Yeah. But his ceiling was one of the best running backs in the league. Steve Smith Sr., I have trouble using him as an example because we know that he's just a different hybrid. He's just a different guy. He had an Achilles injury in 2015. Everybody thought that he was that was going to be the end of his career because he said that was going to be the last season of his career. He came back in 2016 with the Baltimore Ravens, double-digit touchdowns, one of the best receivers <laughs> in the AFC, if not the league. He iced up. Cameron Wake tore his Achilles. The Miami Dolphins, you know, came back. That was in 2015. Came back in 2016, 10 and a half sacks. 2017, 11 and a half and sacks. how old was he when he ruptured his Achilles? He was, I'm going to say, well, he was actually... In 2015, 33 years old. Wow. He went 34 and 35 years old with double-digit sacks. Now, Cameron Wake, I would argue also, is a different type of guy. I think to... Different positions. Different positions, absolutely. I'm not really sure the difference in stress on your Achilles as a defensive end than opposed to a cornerback. They seem comparable. Yeah, I'm more thinking speed, too. Like, Like, you know, if Sherman's out there guarding top guys, can he keep up with them? Will he still be able to do that? Right. You also look at guys, and we mentioned this too, like Darrell Rivas, who 2014, he was with the Patriots and had a really nice year, had 16 passes defensed. 2015, signs with the New York Jets for a massive two-year, $32 million deal. Um, Actually, so it's five years and $70 million. He signed with the Jets in 2015. Five and 70. He was going to be paid like 40 of the 70 over the first three years, guaranteed. And uh, I'm going to find out how old he was at that time, too. 32 years old right now. He'll be 33 in July, which makes him, when he was playing in 2015, about 28, 29 years old, prime of his career. But in 2016, severe drop-off with Jets. And, of course, last year he was terrible with the Chiefs. He's out of the league now at 32 years old. Is that the prime of the career anymore? See, I saw... In the NFL, I don't think it's your prime anymore, unless you're a quarterback. Where does that put Richard Sherman in terms of his prime? 29 years old, and in one month, he turns 30. 
I think the sweet spot for prime NFL playing years is 24 to 28. Those feel like the years, like you've had a couple years in the NFL, assuming you stayed three to four years in college, you know, you, so you've adapted to the speed of the game. And if you're one of those elite players, you haven't taken enough hits yet to have that wear and tear in your body in theory. I feel like 28, 29, 30 years old, guys start to slow down in a big way anymore. If you're Richard Sherman, then what do you, what, what is your approach to any type of contract negotiations right now? It's got to be bet on yourself, right? Like well, I mean, he, he will put himself in the best position to where his play will determine his worth. It feels like he doesn't have a ton of leverage, like from a holdout right. perspective or anything like that, coming off of the injury. No. You know, I, right. I don't feel like, I mean, the, the team's gonna already going to have to have a backup plan for him. So the leverage isn't there. So I think that you're right. He's going to have to bet on himself. And if you're the Seahawks, I don't think you cut him because he's been such a, a boon to your franchise. And he's a guy, you talk about guys that are different animals. Richard Sherman is too. I mean, he is definitely like the mentality that he has to be the best, the grudges that he holds, saying people, he probably has like on his wall a paper that's like says like, oh, people say I can't come back. So-and-so said I can't come back from this Achilles injury that I'll never be able to be the same again. He'll use that as motivation. So I don't doubt that he is going to do everything in his power to get back to the level that he was at before the injury. The question is, will his body allow him to as well? But I think that he has earned the right to to um, at least have the opportunity to show the team that he can get back to that level. Does he have any trade value right now in this offseason? I don't necessarily think so just because of the injury, right? Does the injury take all trade value away from him? I mean, they couldn't trade him last year. When he was fully healthy, but asking prices, I'm sure, have changed. Sure, but is is it... If you're, you're, the, you're the Seahawks, you know you don't have a second or third round pick. So if, if, if you if, try to trade if a team Sherman, offered a three for Richard Sherman, would it be worth it? Would a two be worth it? I don't know if three would be worth it. I would have a hard time saying a three would be worth it. No, it wouldn't be worth it. Getting a second round pick? Maybe. Maybe. Guy's going into the last year of his deal and he had an Achilles. That would really rip the emotional fan cords or yeah. cords of the, of the fan base, but something to think about. All right, to close up here. And that will be far from the last time we talk about Richard Sherman. But let's talk about, real quickly, one of the guys in the uh, back end. Earl Thomas is also going into the final year of his contract. Four years and $40 million that he signed in 2014. Earl Thomas will also turn 30 years old, coming up on May 7th. He's a six-time Pro Bowler. He already had a decent year last year. We saw what the team looked like without him at the tail end of the 2016 season. He had that run-in with Jason Garrett saying, Come get me after the Seahawks beat the Cowboys on Christmas Eve. Don't really know what his level of commitment or level of attraction to the Seattle market is right now. What does Seattle do with Earl Thomas? Is it time to give him the contract extension? I mean, this is so, I'm so glad. See, these are the, the situations where you're just glad you're not in the front office. Well, it gives you an appreciation for John Schneider and his staff and what they have to go through, right? Well, because once again, this speaks to what, what I was just talking about, that he is out of, in my opinion, that primetime window. He's still young, but... I, is he worth ten million a year? Probably for the next one or two seasons, yeah. But we've seen the drop off, and it is steady. I mean, it is fast. And Earl Thomas, I mean, think about what he does to change the games. I mean, first of all, he's so disciplined, typically, right? I mean, there were a couple of games over the last few years where 
you've seen some undisciplined things and they're so uncharacteristic that you're like, whoa, how did that happen, right? Yeah. That's how disciplined he is. But he is also fast, has a ton of power, and those are the things that tend to abandon you the older you get, right? Devin McCourty is 30 years old. He's one of the better safeties in the league. Eric Berry is 29 years old. You know, sure, these are he's guys, a different. He's a different cat. Earl as Thomas well, is but. still going to be a top safety in the league next year. You know, barring injury, I believe that a thousand percent. And I think that in 2019 as well. But beyond that, I'm not so sure. So, and that's the problem is with an extension, you can't just think about what is he going to be good this year. Well, you already have him under contract this year. What's he going to look like three years from now? Four years from now, especially if you're talking guaranteed dollars. Well, that comes back then to our question that we had with Sheldon Richardson and the franchise tag. Does Have there been discussions between Pete and John of we have to redefine our championship window and then try to construct our salaries accordingly? Right? If I had to choose one it, of the is two. It, what is a long-term thing right now? What is a short-term approach right now? Because if, if it's like a two- to three-year championship window that begins right now, you know, what harm is there in coming up to Earl and saying, hey, man, $10 million a year, three years? What are you going to guarantee him, though? Because that's all they care about in the end. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Sheldon Richardson, three-year contract. Earl Thomas, three-year contract. Let's say three years, $30 million for each of them. Who are you giving the dollars to? I'm giving it to Earl Thomas. Same. No doubt. I mean, proven player, older they do have years, they but... do have uh, McDougal back there, right? Well, I know you say partially tongue in cheek. McDougal was no a nice replacement. That's what I'm saying. He was it decent, is... but here's my other thing: the way that Pete Carroll plays defense, cover three heavy. Does that not put more importance on your free safety and your center fielder in Earl Thomas than it would pretty much any other player on the defense? I and mean, how about the fact that Cam Chancellor like is probably not coming back? Yeah, I mean, we're talking about if Earl Thomas is gone. You can't afford Richard it. Sherman's not back till midway through the season, let's just say. You're talking about zero remaining members of LOB back there. There was a uh there was a report earlier this week, possible Des Bryant Earl Thomas trade, Cowboys Seahawks. Would you do it? If money was no object. No. You would not. I like Could Des you Bryant. imagine a wide receiver court, Des and Doug? Yeah, but are they going to pass the ball? Like, yeah, the, they will pass the okay, ball. Okay, I mean, Des I'm sorry, Bryant. but again, if this, they have Des Bryant, they'll pass the ball. <laughs> then, then Seattle's not going to make the trade, so it doesn't matter. So <laughs> there you go. Seattle is there's no way in hell Seattle is going to invest that type of money allocation to the offense, let alone wide receiver. I'm sorry, it's not going to happen. Probably not. But is the value comparable? How much is Doug making this next year? What, ten million? I don't even think that. Much. Nine million? Yeah. And then Dez is making what, 16, 15, somewhere in there? $24 million, 57 or 47 million bucks between your quarterback and two wide receivers. We got to be honest, though. We got to be honest. Even though the narrative around Jimmy Graham is kind of a negative one, got to be honest with the production that you lose at that position with your pass catchers. And how do you replace that? Sure. You know, that's a thing. But I I just don't think that in, in Pete Carroll mind that Des Bryant is the solution to that. I, I, I have a hard time believing that that would ever happen. Yeah, I have a very hard time believing that would happen. I, I do as well. I think Earl Thomas has more value to the Seahawks than Des Bryant would. Based on the way that they play, yes. I And I like Des. I know that Des, like, I didn't realize, I was talking to a buddy who's a Cowboys fan, and a lot of Cowboys fans do not like Des Bryant. Like, at all. 
which is kind of surprising to me because he's so freaking talented. Um, but, I mean, I wouldn't mind seeing him in a Seahawks uniform, but I just think about what Seattle does and the hires that they made and all this and that, and I just that just makes no sense to me at all. Right. No sense. We'll talk about that more coming up next week as we get uh, closer to the new league year beginning, March 14th. Still plenty more to talk about on that front, but let's wrap it up here, Perkins. Good talking with you as always. Going to be a lot of fun this offseason. Exciting to see what Seattle does. Just getting started. There will be no franchise tag, mark my word. There it is. Game Plan Podcast. See you.